I'm Alexander Price, and you're listening to Machine Elf Radio. I was a teenager in the 1990s when the show The X-Files first became really popular. I remember being very excited and rushing home to join my sister and my mom and uh, some of my best friends on the couch at home to watch the new episode when it came out. I guess there's a degree to which all of us, everyone who enjoyed that show, identified to varying degrees with both of the main characters. There was Fox Mulder on one hand, who was kind of like the Sherlock Holmes of the FBI, trying to like figure out like what's going on. And he had this poster on his wall of the UFO with the big bold letters that said, I want to believe. And on one hand, you know, that was all of us. And then on the other hand, there was his side, sidekick, Scully, who was the, she was the scientist. She was the reasonable and rational one. She was the one who, who wanted to be like, there's a very reasonable explanation for all of this. And you're being ridiculous. And let's keep our feet on the ground. And let's, let's not be crazy about all this. UFOs and aliens seem to have gone out of fashion, I guess, since the turn of the millennium. I mean, maybe I'm mistaken, but I guess I've watched a very strange process happen over the course of my lifetime, where at first aliens were these radically illegible, incomprehensible foreign beings that, you know, were utterly beyond any sort of experience. And also the primary concern with them was, should we be scared? Are they going to hurt us? And then I've watched over the course of my lifetime, the alien became something very familiar. And to now we're at a point where there's, you know, the the cartoon American dad, where there's an alien who's just part of their family, you know, like he's gay. Everybody knows he's gay, you know, but like he's uh, not as alien as he once was, you know, and and uh, and, and I, I find that very interesting that uh, the alien has undergone a pretty dramatic transformation that I've watched unfold. I guess a process of domestication, you know, where the alien started off as, first of all, a a distant object, and then, you know, came closer to to be a threat, and then uh, became, I guess, a monster of sorts that we struggled with for a while, until finally, you know, he was assimilated and accepted into our homes. So today we're talking about the psychologist Carl Jung and his uh, beliefs and his uh, writings and ideas about UFOs. Carl Jung, as many of you may know, was a Swiss psychologist. He uh, was a colleague of Sigmund Freud and he eventually parted ways from Freudian psychoanalysis to go his own way, and he founded, uh, you know, his own school of what we now call Jungian psychology. So the reason we're talking about him today is that in the 1940s, Jung uh, developed uh, an interest in the flying saucer phenomenon. So, uh, you know, it's something that had kind of always been going on. People have always had all kinds of strange, you know, visions of, of uh, uh, strange creatures here and there or, or things in the sky, but something happened at the end of World War II, and there was this explosion of uh, UFO sightings in the United States. And it wasn't happening all over the world. It was really focused in the U.S., and it was 
pretty explicitly, clearly associated with the end of World War II. And, uh, you know, that was really interesting to Jung. He didn't know what was going on, and he, you know, developed a real interest in it, trying to figure out, like, were these things really happening, or were people hallucinating? And either way, it's really interesting to him. So, um, you know, I want to point out, too, that uh, there was a real change that happened at the end of the war when, you know, the uh, Americans went in and defeated the Nazis and Hitler, you know, committed suicide and, and, uh, and everything we know about the way, you know, that, that uh, horrific drama ended and the liberation of uh, the Jews from the camps and so on. So Jung is writing at the time that this stuff is happening. And uh, um, so he was interviewed by a Swiss newspaper. Well, they asked him for an interview in 1954. So at that point, this has been going on for a little while. He started collecting newspaper clippings and accounts and talking to people, and he's really keenly interested in it. And uh, I'm just going to read to you briefly from uh, uh, this the first letter. I think it's one of the earliest sources we have where Jung uh, stated his uh, what he was thinking about these uh, uh, flying saucer phenomenon that, uh, w that that he was seeing, you know, popping up in the, in the, in America. Um, and uh, I'll add a few words for clarification. I'm going to skip a little bit in the middle, but uh, if you want to, all of this material is collected together in the book that's uh, published in English as Flying Saucers, A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Sky. Okay, so uh, this letter starts out. He says, In spite of the interest I've taken in the subject of flying saucers since about 1946, I've still not been able to establish an empirical basis sufficient to permit any conclusions to be drawn. In the course of years, I've accumulated a voluminous dossier on the sightings, including the statements of two eyewitnesses well known to me personally. And I've read all the available books, but I found it impossible to determine even approximately the nature of these observations. So far, only one thing is certain. It is not just a rumor. Something is seen. Okay, so I'm skipping ahead just a little bit. He, uh, Jung goes on to say then, The possibility of a purely psychological explanation is illusory, for a large number of observations point to a natural phenomenon or even a physical one. Despite its contradictory statements, the American Air Force, as well as the Canadian, consider the sightings to be real, and they have set up speci special bureaus to collect the reports. The disks, however, that is, the objects themselves, do not behave in accordance with physical laws, but as though they were weightless, and they show signs of intelligent guidance such as would suggest quasi-human pilots. Yet the accelerations are so tremendous that no human being could survive them. The view that the disks are real is so widespread in America that reports of landings were not long in coming. Recently, I read accounts of this kind from two different sources. In both of them, the mystical elements in the vision or fantasy was very much in evidence. They describe half-human, idealized human beings like angels who delivered the appropriate edifying messages. Unfortunately, there's a total lack of any useful information. And in both cases, the photographs failed to come out. Reports of landings, therefore, must for the time being be taken with considerable caution. Although for eight years I have been collecting everything that came within my reach, I must admit I am no further forward today than I was at the beginning. I still do not know what we are up against with these flying saucers. The reports are so weird that, granted the reality of these phenomena, one feels tempted to compare them with parapsychological happenings. Because we lack any sure foundation, all speculation is worthless. We must wait and see what the future brings. So-called scientific explanations are possible only if all the reports that fail to fit the theory are conveniently overlooked. 
that is all I have to say on the subject of flying saucers. So basically all he's saying is that it's super interesting, he's been really keeping an eye on it, but he can't figure out what's what, and he, do, he does believe that there's definitely something that's more than just uh, a, a fantasy or a, a collective um, uh, fiction, but beyond that, you can't say what it is. So that was, that was this letter that he wrote in 1954. He published his book in 1958, and the same year, um, I guess he found the press uh, widely publicizing the uh, claim that he believed in UFOs. And so uh, to clarify what he really did believe, he wrote a letter in, in that same year, 1958, he wrote a letter to the United Press International. And uh, so I'm just reading a, a little quote from that. He writes, the report has been spread by the press that, in my opinion, the UFOs are physically real. This report is altogether false. In a recently published book, I expressly state that I cannot commit myself on the question to the physical reality or unreality of the UFOs, since I do not possess sufficient evidence either for or against. I therefore concern myself solely with the psychological aspect of the phenomenon, about which a great deal of material is available. I have formulated the position I take on the question of the reality of UFOs in the following sentence. Something is seen, but it is not known what. This formulation leaves the question of seeing open. Something material could be seen, or something psychic could be seen. Both are realities, but of different kinds. Okay, so this sentence that he says, something is seen, but it is not known what. That is the essence of, you know, what he's saying. His position is on, um, on UFOs. I'm going to take a, a second to pause and step back and, and give a little bit of uh, uh, the context for where I'm hoping to develop this in, in upcoming episodes and why I think this is so interesting and why I think you should think it's so interesting. It reminds me a little bit, there's this poem by Louise Gluck. I don't know if I'm saying her last name right. Um, so Louise Gluck is a, a, a poet for, she's a former U.S. Poet Laureate. She's written this beautiful, beautiful book called The Wild Iris. I think she won a Pulitzer Prize for it. I think that's right. Um, and it's just gorgeous. But there's another poem that she wrote more re recently called Averno, which is about death. And uh, Averno is like the mythical uh, entrance to the underworld in ancient Rome. So uh, it's another beautiful poem, but the what, there's this image that she uh, um, paints at the end of the poem where she and one of her friends are sitting on the back porch while it's snowing and it's dark out. And you can tell that they're, that they're starting to get old and they're thinking about the end of life and they're thinking about the afterlife and they're thinking about the unknown generally um and and so they're sitting on there's this beautiful image of the two of them sitting on the back porch and they're both peering out into the snow that's falling in the darkness and they're trying to figure out what the patterns are in the snow as it's falling because it's not just chaos there are, there are patterns there and but it's just that effort of the two of them working together trying to figure out, like, what's going on? 
so that's that's this this uh this line you know that 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 Jung is really kind of underlining saying something is seen but it isn't known what it really reminds me of that of that image from this poem and uh i guess as we're moving forward i th i'm hoping we're going to increasingly move into a really kind of strange uh an ambiguous space trying to figure out what we're looking at and and so i'm placing here a sort of like psychic anchor on this idea of jung saying something is out there and we don't know what it is you know that's that's kind of uh uh what's so special about his book about ufos so turning now to the book itself you know he has uh uh a short introduction where he kind of lays out this position, basically what I've just uh, described. I'll read the first uh, couple sentences for you for the from the preface. He says, The worldwide rumor about flying saucers presents a problem that challenges the psychologist for a number of reasons. The primary question, and apparently this is the most important point, is this. Are they real or are they mere fantasy products? Now, Jung is really firm on this point. He keeps saying, like, I don't know. There isn't enough information. So his his introduction is basically articulating that point, saying, I don't have enough information to make a judgment call on whether they're real or not. So what I do have to contribute is, uh, you know, the perspective of a psychologist on what's happening with the question suspended of what's real and what's not. All right, so I'll read you now a um, another short uh, paragraph or so from the early sections of his book, where he's you know he's describing what UFOs look like in the way people describe them. You know, is is still kind of uh, the introductory section talking about about what they are, and and he's writing specifically here in this passage about the ambiguity of the UFO. Okay, so he writes. We're dealing with an ostensibly physical phenomenon distinguished on the one hand by its frequent appearances and on the other by its strange, unknown, and indeed contradictory nature. Such an object provokes, like nothing else, conscious and unconscious fantasies, the former, that is, conscious fantasies, giving rise to speculative conjectures and pure fabrications, and the latter, that is, unconscious fantasies, supplying the mythological background inseparable from these provocative observations. Thus there arose a situation in which, with the best will in the world, one often did not know and could not discover whether a primary perception was followed by a phantasm, or whether, conversely, a primary fantasy originating in the, originating in the unconscious invaded the conscious mind with illusions and visions. The material that has become known to me during the past ten years lends support to both hypotheses. In the first case, an objectively real physical process forms the basis for an accompanying myth, in the second case, an archetype creates the corresponding vision. To these two causal relationships, we must add a third possibility, namely that of a synchronistic, that is, a causal, meaningful coincidence. So, he's saying in this little excerpt that this, uh, the existence of this ambiguous object resulted in a situation where you often didn't know, and sometimes it was even impossible to know, whether people saw something first and then started making up their uh, uh, speculations and stories about it, or whether first 
there was something in their unconscious mind that what he says, he calls it like it invaded the conscious mind with illusions and visions, meaning that uh, people actually saw something, but it was the product of their subconscious minds. And uh, that's a pretty trippy and uh, I think uh, uh, profound suggestion that um, that it's possible for something that you really actually see in physical reality to uh, originate in your own unconscious mind. And that, that's what it sounds to me like, um, like what he's suggesting as a second possibility, that there are uh, perfectly average, sane, everyday Joes walking down the street and looking up in the sky, and they just happen to be in the right place and time to see something really uh, out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. That's one possibility. And then the other possibility is that there are either individuals or the entire American people as a as one community having something in the unconscious mind that was pushing itself into their conscious minds and manifesting as an object which they perceived in reality. In like, it's not that it wasn't a hallucination in the sense of like like as if they took acid and saw a UFO and, and it's clear to everyone they're just like, oh, you were tripping and that's like, they were, you know, it wasn't real. He's, he's, I think he's saying something even more um, intense or even, you know, even, even a little like heavier than that. He's saying like their unconscious minds actually produced this object in perception. I don't want to, I don't really want to use the re- word reality because that's kind of what we're wrestling with here in 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 this topic is like we're wrestling with what is real and how do you know what's real in the first place so the main content of the book there's uh four main chapters in the middle so in the first chapter Jung considers ufos as uh as what he calls a visionary rumor a rumor i guess a rumor about a celebrity is like there's just the story about a celebrity that's out in the media and we don't know if it's true or not and that's his, that's his first chapter is, is is that he's looking at the uh the story in the second chapter he analyzes a series of dreams of, of the people had about ufos uh then the third chapter is about ufos and modern art and then the fourth one is about uh ufo like objects that people saw in the skies in the middle ages so then the majority of the book isn't about uh, whether UFOs are real, it's about uh, dreams, it's about art, it's about visions, it's about stories. Um, so the next passage I'll read is from that first chapter about uh, UFOs as rumors. He's uh, describing the f- common physical features of uh, the objects that people are reported to have seen. So he remarks that the, the physical features are, quote, figures such as the unconscious produces in dreams, visions, and so on. In this case, they are to be regarded as symbols representing in visual form some thought that was not thought consciously, but is merely potentially present in the unconscious in invisible form, and attains visibility only through the process of becoming conscious. The visible form, however, expresses the meaning of the unconscious content only approximately. In practice, the meaning has to be completed by amplificatory interpretation. The unavoidable errors that result can be eliminated only through the principle of waiting on events. That is to say, we obtain a consistent and readable text by comparing sequences of dreams dreamt by different individuals. The figures in a rumor can be subjected to the same principles of dream interpretation. 
this kind of brings us to the point that I wanted to get to in today's episode. Right now he's talking specifically about UFOs, but I want to broaden this out beyond the flying saucer phenomenon. He's saying the physical features of the objects that people are seeing can be subjected to the same principles as dream interpretation. The same techniques, the same way that you would interpret a dream, you can use those same techniques of interpretation to understand the meaning of an experience that you have during waking consciousness. This, this applies to me, this applies to you, and this is something that we can do every single day. You know, even leaving aside our stories about who we are and where we came from, just to your daily experience, from the experience of waking up and going through your day until you put your head back down on the pillow and fall back asleep. Everything that happens between those two points, we can consider that also as a dream. The same way that you would interpret a dream you can use those same techniques of interpretation to understand the meaning of everyday experience. Please don't forget to subscribe or go to elfradio.org to sign up to get an email reminder when the new episode comes out each week. Hey.